Historic Cosmic Potato Studios, welcome to That Star Trek Podcast. This is your place for detailed analysis and speculation of all things Trek. Now, on with the show. Welcome to That Star Trek Podcast, everybody. Your one-stop shop for everything Star Trek. Tonight, we're going to be discussing Strange New Worlds, Season 2, Episode 8, Under the Cloak of War, written by Davey Perez and directed by Jeff W. Bird. I don't think we really need a synopsis of the episode, but just to sort of remind everyone of what happened, it's the one where most of the episode is Chapel and Mbenga having shared flashbacks to their time in the war, the Klingon War where they met, they met um, on the front lines and they both experienced some pretty traumatic things because there was a Klingon general, was his name Dakra, is that Dakra, it? Dakra, son of Raoul. And he was known for being pretty brutal. He murdered not just soldiers, but he was known for killing uh, civilians as well, human and Klingon. Now, in the present on Enterprise, this very same general is now an ambassador because he defected and now works for the Federation. He comes on board and for some reason, Starfleet, because this is consistent, Starfleet brass are incompetent slash evil. And so they force war veterans specifically to interact with this ex-general now ambassador. And so Ortegas and Mbenga and Chapel are forced to interact with this ambassador. And it is pretty traumatic for all of them in differing ways. Now, the main bit of the episode is the ending where Mbega gets into a scuffle with the ambassador and kills him. And the episode leaves it ambiguous as to whether or not it was self, or I guess to what degree it was self-defense. Did Mbenga plan to kill the general or the now ambassador? Or did, you know, who shot first, basically? Who grabbed for the knife? And it is left deliberately ambiguous. And I think my first question is going to be, do you all think that Mbenga intended to kill the general? Without a doubt. Absolutely. That's why he said, he was saying, I, why, did you, why didn't you just go away? Why did you have to stay? Why did you come back? Because he kept saying, just leave, get out of here. Well, that's it thing- exactly. He is, first of all, he brings the knife to sickbay. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost implied that he's like carrying it around with him at this point. So that implies some intentionality. But when the, the ambassador comes to sickbay, 
Mbenga asks him repeatedly to leave. So he's trying to extract himself from this confrontation. Chris? I, I just don't know. Uh, this was the crux of the episode. I didn't. I, we, we were going to start with the big guns right away, huh? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, That's how Neek runs the show. I want to say that Mbega didn't intend to kill him. I want to say that it was circumstantial. But everything in the episode points to the fact that he has no problem with ending this guy. Um as a Star Trek fan and someone that wants to believe in some of the ideals that were espoused in this episode, even though they come up against the hard reality, I want to say that Mbenga didn't intend to kill him. I want to say it was just a circumstantial thing, and I think it was kind of a cop-out that they left everything behind a very um, sort of obscuring screen in sickbay where we couldn't really see what happened. Uh, I, I, I think that we probably should have seen what happened, but it was the one punch that they pulled in this episode and the one they should not have. I was going to ask that. How do we feel about that deliberate ambiguity? Do you feel like the show should have made it like extremely clear what exactly happened? Or do you like that ambiguity? And I guess, Chris, you're saying you wanted to know. You want it to be I, very clear what yeah. happened. I, I both like and dislike the ambiguity. I feel like the ambiguity is a crystallization of all of the ideals that we love about Star Trek come up against just the shit that is reality, the shit that is people in the universe and how bad people do bad things. And no matter how idealistic you are, you're going to come across people that do not hold those ideals. So what do you do? Do you say everybody deserves a second chance? I'm the guy who's on like team execute Giorgio and she became like the darling of freaking discovery. And I feel like this is kind of that. And it's just like Pike saying everybody deserves a second chance. Starfleet is a representation of these, these ideals. And the bang is like, you weren't there. You didn't see what I saw. And it's, it, it's the series fighting with itself. And I feel like this is a big issue, question, thing in the fan community as well. So I don't know if they're tapping into that, but it's it's that 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 great bird ideology against the DS9 gritty reality. And where do they meet? And I'm happy that Disco not Discovery, Strange New World. I'm happy that SNW at least ventured into that territory because this is what I like about Star Trek when it takes itself seriously. And I don't mean like the self-serious didactic prolax next gen bullshit. I mean, like we live in a real world where we have these ideals, but they are not always going to jive with reality. How do we reconcile that? So for that, I enjoyed the ambiguity because even we as fans don't know, or anyway, I don't know where I stand in the middle of that divide but at least the series is trying to explore it in some way or this episode of this particular series is trying to explore it in some way it occurs to me now that i didn't introduce anyone but i guess at this point rick and chris have already spoken so we know they're here <laughs> scott is also with us scott how did you feel about the ambiguity and do you think that mbenga had int intentionality in the murder I, I was not surprised that the episode left it ambiguous because to make it clear one way or the other would be, 
it would be taking a risk if they made it clear that that Joseph killed the ambassador with intent. Um, but at the same time, if they had presented it as the ambassador attacking first, then some people might see that as as a cop out, as giving Joseph too easy an excuse. So riding the middle of the road by making it ambiguous makes sense from a from a storytelling perspective um so i can see why they did it and one of the benefits of that is it allows the viewer to decide for themselves and in my decision uh joseph x absolutely uh took the opening when he had it the reason he was asking raul to leave literally begging him to leave is because he knew that if the ambassador stayed in the room, Joseph was going to kill him. He wasn't saying, please leave me alone. I don't like you. You bother me. He was saying, please leave. I don't want to kill you. When actually, at, I, well, actually more, more accurately, please leave. I want to kill you and I shouldn't. So please go. And he didn't. As far as who went for the knife first, we really don't know. I I do think that that Joseph took the opportunity to do what he f still feels he should have done years ago. And he said, "All right, th this guy's getting too close. He's not leaving. Let let's let's just get this done." And and he uh took the opportunity when it was presented to him. And I I do think that it was all on Joseph. Rick, how do you feel about the ambiguity? I didn't. I didn't see it as ambiguous, but now I now I can see how it could be interpreted that way. Um, because we didn't actually see. No, we no, we didn't. You're right. Um, I I just kind of thought of that as a, a that was a a, a uh, well. At first, I thought it was Chapel's view, and then we realized she wasn't on the other side of that screen. Uh, she she was in the same room. Um, I just thought it was giving us an out that. Uh, so that Mbenga could be a little vague about it. Because the problem is, there was no doubt who went for the knife first because Mbenga was between uh, the, the general and the knife. It was on his desk. So Mbenga would have had to pull it out. Oh, did, now, let me just clarify what I said what I, when I said absolutely Mbenga intended to kill. I don't think he was planning... I don't think he brought the knife into his office with the intention of hunting down the general. I think he was just looking at it and arguing with himself whether he was going to do it or not. And then the general came in and it was it was more of a, a crime of opportunity. But if there was any doubt, Mbenga cleared that up on his own because he said, I didn't start the fight. And it was and, and then, you know, that if they had stopped there, I'd have been fine. But then later, you know, later in the conversation with with Pike, he says, you know, this guy killed civilians and children. What if he started the fight then? So he even admitted there that his I didn't start the fight was something of an evasion. But he's right. He the the general did start the fight. Oh, I don't disagree with him at all. What about Chapel? I fully support her supporting Mbenga because she went through the same thing he did. She understands where he's coming from. And she never really lied because all she said is it was self-defense. I saw it. That is the the knife that belongs to the butcher of Jigal. Mm -hmm. And 
the it's a bit of an obfuscation because Pike and everybody believes that the butcher of Jagal is the general when in truth Mbenga is the butcher. And so she didn't exactly lie, but she still sort of obfuscated the truth. She also came in late enough that she may not have, she may truthfully have not seen who pulled the knife out of the box. Because she said she saw sure. the whole thing, but she didn't come in until they were argue, already fighting with the knife. Sure. I have to jump in and say that now, now that we have named uh, Joseph as the, the butcher of Jagal, this episode, it, maybe it's just been a long week for me, but when we got to that scene, and this character that we have seen multiple times this, this season as wishing more than anything else that he could leave the violence behind him in the past and focus on being a healer. And this season more than last and more than once, he has been forced to to return to the violence that that he is familiar with. And when he admitted that he was the butcher of Jagal, which I did not catch on to maybe as early as I should have, but it started to become clear. And then when he used that descriptor for himself, that is the part of the episode that, that tore me up. I had tears coming down my face and I was, I was actually saying, I, I think I was saying out loud, what? Because I didn't even understand why am I so affected by this? And I think a lot of it is from Bab's performance. When when he told the Butcher of Jagal, no, I am the Butcher of, of Jagal. Oof. It was a wonderful performance and I think a really well-constructed scene and, and well-written dialogue that for people who weren't keeping up as quickly, so when when the realization hits them exactly when the writers want it to that, Oh, Joseph is actually the butcher of Jagal. Very affecting. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even bother asking at the top of this episode, if you guys liked this, uh, this episode, because I'm assuming you all did. It's incredible. Correct. Yeah. I, 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 I loved it. I also find it kind of strange that we get this episode with the subject matter in these flashbacks while I'm doing a top to bottom viewing of MASH. Interesting. It was space MASH. Yeah, yeah was there was a lot. And right down to the, to the cardiac massage. Yeah, exactly. I saw an episode where Hawkeye was, was pumping someone's heart manually like, like three, four episodes ago of MASH. He did that. And then this happens in this episode. It's just kind of weird. Also, a little extra funny for me because I had the notion like 20 years ago of a Star Trek spinoff series that's a Starfleet uh, mobile army surgical hospital set during the Dominion War. Smash? Yeah, yeah more or less. They could, okay. they could call it that. Star Trek Smash. Okay, let's get back to Chapel, though. Do you think she had to, again, not exactly lie, off this gate, do you think she and Mbenga had to... Do that. They could have told the truth, even if Mbenga had pulled the knife and just gone ahead and stabbed the general. Now, legally, that's not self-defense because, you know, he showed up there with the knife. But morally, you could argue trauma. And we've already seen that both Chapel and Mbenga have intense PTSD and apparently have not received any kind of treatment for it. So Starfleet is on the hook for this. 
So they could have been completely honest and said, listen, we are deeply traumatized. You forced us to interact with this guy. He came at me. He did start that fight and I ended it. And that would have been fine. And I do believe that Pike would have gone to bat for both of them. Well, I mean, Chapel at that point would not have been involved. Pike would have gone to bat. So why then did they choose to claim that it was self-defense? You know what it reminds me of is the episode The Most Toys from TNG. Yep. Where Data may or may not have fired the Virenti disruptor at Kivas Fajo. Mm-hmm. And he does not, uh, you know, when, when they beam him in and O'Brien's like, this is weird. There was a, there was a, a weapon in discharge and Data's like, hmm, interesting. Doesn't confirm or deny. Um, uh, he lies his ass off. Perhaps and, something occurred during transport. Bullshit, Data. You pulled the trigger. Exactly. Yeah. I we always all, interpreted yeah. that as Data having pulled the trigger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I never had a doubt. No, I, I'm not saying that there was doubt. It was, but the fact that Data lied Mm -hmm. which i thought was a very interesting choice to make well i if you if you really want to split hairs he didn't necessarily lie he just posed a hypothetical question and left it at that yeah it's not like a lie of of uh omission for an android is still a lie Hmm. according to you know asimov (laughs) but you're right it's it's a good it's a good comparison to this episode because it's the sort of thing where they're not technically lying. They'd probably pl- pass like a lie detector test, but they are sort of, they're playing in the shades of gray. The fact that Chapel backs up Mbenga did not surprise me at all. No, me neither. The fact that Mbenga actually used the line, aren't, I forget the exact wording, but you know, is aren't some people, shouldn't some people pay for their actions? and yet he's kind of hiding behind the ambiguity mm-hmm. was a little odd. But I could also see him, you know, having despised this person for however long, despised who he forced Joseph to become, projecting his own self-loathing onto the general. And I can't, I don't know why I've, maybe because I'm sick, I've forgotten his first name already, the, the general's name. Dar? Dakra. Dakra, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Mbenga has, maybe even subconsciously, made Dakra the 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 devil in his universe. But, but I I think we're giving Mbenga too much credit here for being innocent. D- did we forget the Black Ops and the Andorian that came and said to him, "You are the one with the most confirmed kills hand to hand"? Wasn't his nickname the Ghost? And he said, "I don't do that anymore." I'm learning now how to heal. So well, Mbenga that... is not innocent in this. Right. And I'm not saying that he's wrong. I'm not, but but he is apparently some kind of black ops. I don't think Section 31, but doing the wet work that Starfleet needs done in these situations. And he's trying to get away from it, but it calls him back. So I, I don't think that we can say Joseph is a poor victim here. I can I think we can say that Joseph was who Joseph was decided to try to change who he was and was forced back into the life that he knew to end this atrocity by murdering these generals who were murdering civilians just because. And that does bring up the question of like why is it okay to kill during war but it's not okay to kill once the war is over. You know 
because Mbenga presumably gets a pass for all the murders he committed during the war when he was working for Black Ops. But now that it's over and he didn't quite finish the job and finish off the general, is it so bad that he's like finishing the job, if you will? Yes. And I don't. <laughs> okay, go on. No, well, I'll say this. Um, Starfleet can hide behind the shield of war to do things that it normally wouldn't do in a more enlightened um, sort of idealistic worldview that it has, right? This was war. Choices had to be made. Civilians were dying. Now that we're out of that situation where we can put a black hat and a white hat and it's just all gray – we are forced now to say, hey, and Joseph even says this to Pike, who sat out the war deliberately. They, they kept him out, according to Discovery uh, canon. You were out there on the frontier because we needed the best of us to still represent what Starfleet believes in. We didn't want you sullied by this war. And Joseph even says to Pike, you have the privilege of believing in what's best in people. And he says, some things in this world don't deserve forgiveness. So it's, it's again, it's that Starfleet ideal, which is represented by Pike and crew and everything that we want Star Trek to represent up against, hey, there are some real shit people in this galaxy who just will not stop and they deserve to be stopped. Somebody has to go in and do it and not just do it, but own it. So, and he even says, what if I told you he killed children? Then is it okay for me to own it? Whatever you need for me, Chris, to make it okay between us, because we see eye to eye on a lot of things. This is something that I have experience in that you don't. So call the tribunal or don't. But I did what I had to do. So, And when Mbenga says that to Pike, that, you know, some things can't be forgiven, or what was the exact line again? I wrote it down. Some things in this world don't deserve to be forgiven or don't deserve forgiveness. And the other one I loved is you have the privilege of believing in what's best in people. Do you think Mbenga in addition to talking about the general, was talking about himself when he says that some people cannot be forgiven. Wow, Nick, you just blew my mind. I didn't even think that. Holy crap. <laughs> I, I think absolutely, absolutely he was talking about himself. Yeah. And you know what I just realized? The, the, when, when we first see Mbenga is in a private little war, and he knows about treating a Vulcan for gunshot trauma. In fact, that's why he's there. Mm-hmm is because Spock gets shot and Mbenga's an expert on, you know, basically battlefield fixing Vulcans. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, obviously the TOS people didn't know about this, but I'm wondering if the writers for Strange New Worlds are kind of doing this nice backdoor connection yeah. that we've seen them do before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, huh, I was about to start crapping on Disco because I feel like they did less research than Strange New Worlds <laughs> did, but yeah. We'll, we'll keep it to strange new worlds for now, but okay. Do, do we buy that the ambassador or the general turned ambassador was legit? Was he genuine in his um, efforts for peace or is Ortega's correct? And that's was all a long con. I don't think it's either. When it all made sense was when the general admitted when, when Mbenga said, unlike you, I'm ashamed of what happened that night. And the general says, I was ashamed of my cowardice, which for a Klingon 
is a huge admission and a huge transgression. So I don't think he's I, I I don't think he's working for the Klingon Empire. I don't think he's trying to infiltrate Starfleet. He's afraid that if the if his fellow Klingons find out what really happened that night, they will tear him apart. And he truly is a coward. And we've seen cowardly Klingons before. So I think he saw this as an opportunity to go hide in the Federation and have a nice cushy job at the same time. Yeah, hundred percent on that. And mm. and he was he held on to the title of the Butcher of Jagal because he could turn that into the story of yes, I killed my generals because they were doing bad things, and I like peace. So when they were doing bad things like killing civilians, I killed them for it, and then I came to the Federation because Federation likes peace, and so do I. But yeah, re- he, really, it was it it was convenient. It was an it was him having him. his cake and eating it too. Because by yes. by by taking credit for being the butcher, he gets the respect of the Klingons because he went ahead and made a decision, killed people that he thought needed killing, and that's that's perfectly honorable from the Klingon point of view. And he gets brownie points from the Federation because he turned against his people and defected. Yeah, and, and he was quote unquote stopping atrocities by killing those bad bad uh, uh, generals, killing killing the guys that were working for him. Yeah. Uh, as far as his pursuing peace, I think that he was invested and interested in peace insofar as it's the job that he can get that will keep him alive. I don't think that he has a a, a deep rooted desire for peace in his heart, but. If that's the job that that he can do in the Federation, that's gonna you know keep him upright and breathing, then that's the job he's gonna do. And if people like him for it, even better, because the more people in the Federation that like him, the less chance there is that the Federation's gonna kill him. I don't believe this Klingon ever said it is a good day to die. Nice. That's the title for the show. No. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, you seemed to be um, not quite on the same page as Rick there. I'm confused because I feel like the message of the episode was that everybody deserves a chance at redemption. Everybody deserves a second chance. And this goes back to something that Carol Kane said in the last episode. I had an old friend who said, um, I used to want to be somebody. I pretended to be that person until I became that person or, or he became me. I think it was a Cary Grant quote. I don't recall mm-hmm. the, the circumstance in which she said that, but it struck me because in this one, there was a line and I don't recall if it was in Benga that said it or it was. Um, it was in Benga. if you pretend something long enough, it becomes the truth. He was talking to Ortegas before they went into the dinner. Right. Okay. So I I feel like this has been a theme, at least in these last few episodes, where the reality around you can be what it is. But if you try to rise above it or try to be something aside from that, you can achieve it as long as you believe it. It's like the fake it till you make it. Uh, Fraser Crane trains a success thing, right? If you can see it, you can be it. Fraser reference right here. Um, But I think that maybe it was convenient but i don't i don't think he was as disingenuous as rick and scott seemed to think i think that he genuinely wanted to try peace i feel like he's maybe one of the first introspective klingons that we've seen in like the tos timeline that is not just a warmonger that is not just of the warrior cast so it's it's almost like what 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 
I, I guess, was it Tendi that said last week, Orions, they're all pirates. Somebody had to build the ships. There are scientists, there are philosophers, there are, there are homemakers, there are poets. Like, it's not just one monoculture about warriors. Somebody has to be there to do the other stuff that makes a society, that makes a civilization. And I feel like he was embracing that part of it. He even said something to the effect that Klingons are uh, hampered by their narrow ideology because that's all they know and he has like some derision for it as he says it so i think that he might genuinely want to be on the side of peace not just a matter of convenience but because he is maybe genuinely ashamed of what he did he is maybe genuinely at admiring of the federation and its ideals and what that could mean for an expanded klingon empire or to change an empire or I don't know. I just feel like to write him off as an opportunist does the character in the episode a disservice. It makes it a little bit more black and white where I like the shades of gray. And I've everything that you say makes sense. And and I could I could subscribe to most of it if not for two things. One uh, the 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 ambassador's like really keen interest in getting uh Joseph to like agree with him, be on his side and help support him in, in his efforts to, to make peace. He, he seemed too invested in that for it to just be a genuine desire. This will make peace better. It really felt more of a, this will help me in my image. If I have you helping me out. The other thing, the big thing that gets in the way of, of me really signing up for what you're selling is uh, the blatant lie that the general uh, war as a cloak by taking credit for killing his subordinates when his subordinates they did cover his escape they protected him from he didn't know it at the time joseph while he ran away he did not take out his generals at all but he never did anything to dissuade anyone from thinking that and that it was a bit of maybe mild but still subterfuge on his part that does damage his credibility so let me let me go at it from the opposite side. You're a Klingon that is looking for asylum in the Federation. Everybody already believes that you're a murdering butcher. No matter what story you come with, you're a Klingon. Don't trust them. Don't believe them. They're Klingon. Stay Klingon. So you're going to use that to your advantage to say, yes, I'm all of that, but I'm also about peace. So I feel that's maybe an opportunistic thing to spread the the word that maybe he wanted to spread. It's a tool that he uses to become the person he wants to become. And whether or not it's a lie, it's still a useful tool. And I think he saw Mbenga as that. He was constantly poking at Mbenga this episode. Mbenga wanted to leave that dinner. Actually, he stayed because he's just like, screw him. I'm not going to give up a seat at the captain's table to give this guy the satisfaction. You know, F this ass. It's Pike who says to Mbenga, maybe you should go to to see about Ortegas. And I think Christine needs more help. And Mbenga says, yes, sir. And he goes to leave. And uh, Ra grabs him by the arm deliberately and says, I understand that you're practicing Makta, whatever this 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 combat is you know, without restriction. Why don't we have a fight? Like, so he's deliberately poking at him. I get that. But I feel like it's in service to keeping up this ideal that maybe he's cultivating. Maybe he is a giant faker, but I think he wants to see a specific end. 
and he sees who he is realistically in the lens of the Federation and says, this is how they see me. I need to turn this to my advantage. Maybe that's the opportunistic part, but I don't believe that he's just pursuing peace as a means to get out of dishonor. I think that maybe he is genuinely interested in pursuing peace. And maybe that's the idealist in me. Now, not to make everything about Moonshow, but I am Moon very show. steeped in Moonshow right now. Moonshow Moon Mankind all. on Apple TV. <laughs> that's it. A For All Mankind podcast right here on the Infinite Potato Alliance. <laughs> if you watch For All Mankind, you should be listening to Moonshow. Moonshow. But I couldn't help but see the parallels between the general and the real-life Werner von Braun. So he's a former mm -hmm. Nazi, and then he gets recruited by NASA, and he works for the Americans. He legitimately works for the Americans. But the question that For All Mankind asks, and that plenty of people asked in real life, is that is his genuine intention valid? Does it matter? He was a Nazi, and maybe he didn't have the gun in his hand and killing people, but he was fully aware that plenty of people were dying building his rockets. Mm. So he was complicit. So bringing it back to Star Trek, does it even matter how genuine the intentions are from the ambassador? He did kill children. He did kill civilians. Can he be redeemed? Is there a possibility of redemption for someone who did something that evil? And is the Federation equally complicit now that they're taking him on board and letting him be a peace ambassador? Absolutely. Yeah. Because because he he keeps one of the things that bothered me through the whole episode was things like Ra saying, "Ah, the 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 Klingons are a, a you know a, a bunch of people who are stunted by their ideologies." And I am trying to make up for the mistakes of my past. And he, he's giving all of these kind of psychological buzzwords and, and bullet points that seem, sound to me like he's, he's just learned them over the years, that this is what the Federation likes to hear. This is the kind of crap that they eat up like candy. Hmm. Uh, because he's acting like, Oh yeah, I I got some parking tickets and and you know one moving violation and I'm trying to make up for that as opposed to having massacred thousands. And he's absolutely baffled by the fact that Mbenga is not buying it because he doesn't realize who he's dealing with yet. And so he has been able to punch through and and win the trust of so many federation people by using these federate this federation language that no Klingon would ever say. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, Chris. I, 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 I respect your opinion. I see where you're coming from with it. I disagree wholeheartedly. I think that uh, Ra is an absolute opportunist. Hmm. Opportunist? Opportunist. Hey, who's <laughs> one that's been drinking tonight? I, I'm, I'm drinking <laughs> Corona. I'm, I'm drinking Corona, but not the beer. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think that he is, he's evil from both a Klingon perspective and a Federation perspective. Wow, and he's wow. playing both both governments or both, both ends against the middle. Both, huh? Yeah. Wow. It's, he's yeah. hiding in this middle ground where the Klingons can't get to them, can't get to him to punish him for his cowardice. And the Federation think he's, you know, all that in a bag of chips. 
and uh they think the chance for peace is more important than yeah. actually taking a, a hard look at him if the writers had had the ambassador say i don't know why i'm so like tentative on, on saying i know his name it's ra if the writers had had ra say something to the effect of i know that i can never be truly forgiven for what i did during the war but i'm trying to atone something like that mm -hmm. then it would have been more believable but he always phrased it as i i did bad stuff but i'm better now i've seen the light he phrases it as it's it's already been done i've i have reformed i'm a good guy now when someone who truly regrets what they did would know that there is no such thing as forgiveness for what he has done but just trying his best to to atone to counter what he did to do good for as long as he can as much as he can to make up for all the bad that he did that reads as more sincere but to say i'm reformed i'm a good guy now that's what you say when you're just trying to make it look good to convince people i think i think you guys are changing my mind on on raw and i didn't mean to to come across as someone on raw side i think the character is irredeemable i think that this is a monster that deserves whatever justice is coming to him i just was not convinced that he was disingenuous in his quest for bridging the gap between the klingon empire and starfleet and bringing the ideals of starfleet to a broader klingon context um, but you guys are maybe kind of changing my mind with what you're saying. Maybe and, he is just a bag of shit. And, and like we said, <laughs> and Rick said this, and if I didn't make it clear enough that I'm going to make it very clear right now, I, I see exactly where you're coming from. And Rick respects your take on it, and so do I. But I think this is one of the reasons why this episode is so interesting, because I we can see where you're coming from, and I believe that you see where we're coming from. Yeah, yeah. But we're having different interpretations of the same episode because it was so well constructed that it it allows the viewer to make these interpretations for themselves. They're not spoon feeding every single detail to us. They know this is how it is. They're presenting the characters and they let the viewer decide, which is a hallmark of great writing. Yeah, and that's us. You know, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons, this episode is so amazing. I I think that this. This episode, I think, moves up into like duet or devil in the dark territory as far as being some of the best examples of Star Trek out there. Mm. Let's talk about Pike. How did what? How did you feel about his reaction to to things? He was riding so hard for everyone can be redeemed, and I understand that he's a captain, and you know it's his job to. Um, to, you know, follow orders and protect the ambassador and toe the line. But do you feel that he was being insensitive towards the, the war vets and his crew? And do you think he was being too naive? No and yes. No, because <laughs> Pike has been like the perfect captain for three seasons now, three and two and a half seasons now, if you count his time on Discovery. I liked seeing a chink in the armor. And that chink in the armor is he he's been in scuffles. You know, he's he's had a, a you know, a battle here or there, uh, you know, Rigel seven, uh, things like that. Not what we saw in Rigel seven, what happened in the, the events of the cage. But 
he never went through actual warfare. And so he's the poster child for the Starfleet ideology of everyone deserves a second chance. Everybody has a voice, you know, and we've seen it. And, you know, we've, I've, I've called him out on it many times of, you know, just once I'd like to see him go, will you shut up and do what I ordered you to do for once? Um, <laughs> I think Pike's flaw is that he does believe everybody is redeemable and everybody is good in, in, in some way. And so when you bring in a con man like Ra, Pike is the kind of person who, especially because he's under orders, is going to swallow it hook, line, and sinker. Hmm. I think that gives Pike a little bit more Pollyanna than I'd like to believe. I think Pike's a little bit more seasoned. I just think that Pike maybe believes more in the ideology of the Federation and the second chance thing. And even he's a little uncomfortable with Starfleet's decree that war veterans need to now forcibly fraternize with the enemy, which is just the most ridiculous order you could ever level. And But it, it's so perfect for the TOS era because you think about poor Charlie Evans and the need for counseling in Starfleet has never been more evident than in episodes like this where there just needs to be someone who says, hey, how do you feel about this? They don't care about that in the TOS era. They just don't. It's just it's, it's go along, get along be a good soldier and toe the line and how how you feel is how you feel. But there's duty as well. And I never thought I'd be like a fan of like a Troy as a character. But the more I watch TOS, the more I realize, wow, there is something fundamental, fundamental missing from this dynamic. And if you just had someone to say, hey, how are you? How are you doing? A lot of the a lot of the TOS drama and a lot of the stuff that we saw as like damaging in TOS could have been averted, could have been taken care of, could have been nipped in the bud. Mm. So and, and like so Pike following those orders from the bad morals, because they're all bad morals in Star Trek. We know this uh, anyway. In Toss, they are um, just it, it fits in with that that cowboy diplomacy aesthetic. I mean, he's got a freaking saddle in the conference room <laughs> where everybody does their work i mean yeah you get it you know it's just like we're still out here on the frontier we're still doing it you know rough and ready we're still blazing guns first so i, I yeah I, I i can buy pike doing that 100 percent because he is a company man i could buy pike uh, relaying the orders to chapel and mbenga that Starfleet wants veterans to interact directly with this ambassador. I was surprised that that's where he stopped because we've seen Pike go against Starfleet orders already. Uh, we, we've seen him break the prime directive at least once, I think more than once, uh, just in these, you know, one and three quarter seasons of a strange new worlds. So, Knowing, even having a a surface level familiarity with what Joseph and Christine went through during the war, for him to present that order to them and actually expect them to follow it and hold them to it, that's what surprised me. Because the Pike that we've seen already would have told them, this is what Starfleet says, and now this is how we're going to get around it because you two should not have to be put in that position. 
Yeah, and I feel and like he didn't just... say that. He didn't. He didn't work in any way to give them an out or to or to get around it or to minimize their exposure to him. He presented the order and just said, "Will you guys be there? It'd be really great if you could be there. Thanks, I appreciate it. Okay, bye." And he he should have fought for his officers more than he fought for an out of touch order from Starfleet Command based on the character that we've seen so far of Pike. That's I where think, I was disappointed. You know, I think you're right. And I think I contradicted myself because Rick started out with the point that I ended up on that Pike is a little Pollyanna here. And I said, I think he's more seasoned, but then I ended right up with him being a company man. Um, maybe Scott, you're pointing out the Pike that I, I expected to see as opposed to the pike that we see here. So, Rick, I stand corrected. I think you were right in that assessment. I, I kind of talked myself out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I, and 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 let me, let me just clarify. I'm not glad to see that, but it makes sense that, you know, everybody's got a blind spot. And I, I genuinely think we need to see some flaws in pike. I love pike. You know, I... I adored him in, in strange new worlds or in uh, discovery and was very happy when we got strange new worlds. Uh, but he's, he's a little too good sometimes a little too, you know, captain Lincoln Stern. We need to yeah. see the, what goes on in the courtroom <laughs> afterwards. The, the one grace I'll give him is that it, it is possible that he really doesn't understand what Christine and Joseph went through. And, and that's, that was war. the point I said earlier is he, yeah, he and, has no idea. If he really doesn't know what it was like, then it's more understandable that he would give them that order and expect them to follow it. So I'm I'm holding on to that because I want to hold on to my respect for Pike, and I would lose some of it if he knew what happened and still asked them to follow the order anyway. But he doesn't, and that that's and and that's on that's on. Well, it's not on Mumbenga and Christine because there are some things you just don't talk about. You know, yeah. with with people who weren't there, it's it, Christine even says it to Spock. She's like, it it doesn't make sense unless you're there. There are some things, you know, and I am not claiming to be any expert on warfare. I was in the service, but I never left the country. Uh, you know, I have I have the, the Desert Storm ribbon, but I was in tech school at the time, so I never, you know, I've never seen combat in the what I did in the Air Force. I would never see combat. I fixed airplanes, cargo planes. Um, but I do know people who will not talk about aspects of their life and there's no point in asking them because they just, they just won't tell you. And there's no point in trying to tell you if you weren't there. And I thought that was very interesting that Christine was the one who said that and to Spock and, and Nick, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about that scene between Christine and Spock uh, where he is like, I, I see you hurting. I want to help. And then you were absolutely right in your, in your kneecap that he then turned it around and made it all about him, even though she said, this is not about you. And he's like, Oh, all right, you, you need to be away from me. And he, you know, sulked off. Um, cause that didn't but, occur to yeah. me when I watched it. Cause that's the, that was the kind of shit I would have done as a kid, you know, when I was younger, you know, I was like, Oh, yeah. you don't want to be around. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Class, like, classic so. dude move right now. I'm the victim. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I saw that scene and I saw uh, Spock's behavior as a time time alone away from me. And in that moment, I was, oh, Spock, you 
dumb son of a bitch. That's that's absolutely the wrong thing to say. But, that but that's based, wrong-headed. Don't think that way. But based then, on the previously on, I mean, and it, it's, it they sort said of you sense. need to know when not to talk to people. So Spock is already it, this iteration of Spock as we see him now in Strange New Worlds is already very insecure about how to act and how to be quote human. So he thinks that he is constantly doing it wrong. In this case, he's genuinely trying to help the person that he has this these growing feelings for. He's very confused about it. But And she even says, she nails it right on the head, you see me hurting, so you think you need to do something about it. And yes, 100%. As a guy in a relationship, a long-term relationship, yes. When my wife is hurting, I feel like I need to do something to fix it. And it takes a long time to learn, maybe just back away and be supportive. But Spock, it's all new to him. Like we said in a, a couple episodes ago, he's basically a teenager at this point. Mm. All of these emotions are flooding into him. So the fact that he can't fix it and it makes him petulant and dismissive tracks. It just tracks. Yeah, it it certainly makes sense. But it was still hard to see it because it's it's understandable, but it's the wrong move. And it's the opposite of helpful. And what yeah. surprised yeah. me is it, you know it didn't because occur- he's 16 <laughs> it didn't occur to me until this discussion right now that that was the end of that particular thread of the story that is not revisited in this episode that's just that that's it and i had forgotten about it i spock said that and said, okay well there's going to be a scene near the end where spock and christine come back and they have another like you know no, a touch base conversation and, but it doesn't since, happen ever since they got spock and chapel together Every episode has had another little drop of them breaking up because we know ultimately that they break up, that it, mm. they don't end up together. And I think the show is very smartly giving us these little nuggets of why this relationship doesn't work as much as we as whoever's shipping them want it to work out. And as much as Spock and Chapel want it to work out, we know it won't. And this is why, because Spock doesn't get it. And he never will get it. We know that he ends up alone. He just yeah. doesn't get it. But that's that's just how he's built. Yeah, that's it's just not, his it's not, it's not even It's not even really a flaw. It's just no, who it's... he is fundamentally. Well, so it I... makes it very difficult. It makes it I... difficult for Chapel. It makes it difficult for T'Pring, who's a fellow Vulcan. It's just something in Spock is very solitary, very... I, I don't want to say selfish, but he's just not a relationship kind of person unless it's his brother, Kirk. Clint Howard, everybody. Clint Howard. Oh, yeah. Okay, so can someone explain Trek. to me, what the hell does Bills and Bows mean? I, I almost was going to use that when you introduced us, and then I was like, that is just too stupid. I was going <laughs> to use what the it, hell but it mean. Neek broke the format. I mean, yeah. I think to the benefit of the show because we've been having a really great discussion. <laughs> well, I yeah, I was also like, I don't, I don't think this episode warrants a, a, a silly opening. Um, but yeah, I have no idea what. I, I mean, I'm used to assholes and elbows. I've heard that one before. I don't know what bills and bows means though. Okay, anything else I'm, to say about Clint Howard? <laughs> I think it's it's just great to see him. I'm trying to look it, it, it is, up. I guess it is a bit odd that he's in in such a dark episode because normally he's used to comedic effect but i mean i wasn't mad at it i thought it was fine it was sort of an interesting choice well it was stanley of the star trek verse right he's (laughs) going to be in every series in some some capacity right well i I can't wait to see him on lower decks my wife and i were watching it and he shows up on the screen and 
I my brain did a vapor lock. I'm like, that's that's that. Uh, uh, who who played Opie? <laughs> You're like that's Baylock. Okay, now on to the most important question about this episode: Why were there so many scenes of Mbenga taking off his shirt? Because he is hella sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, I'm not mad at it, but I was curious. I was like, why does he have to have his, his flashbacks in the shower? You know, because like, the, the same reason that Scott took off his shirt almost every episode of Quantum Leap, because Scott Bakula is a beautiful, beautiful man. <laughs> because he could. Right. Uh, so, I get really worried there until you specified you were talking about Bakula. Um, in, in, because if I took off my shirt on several episodes of the podcast, then I I drink way too much. It's not a slight to you, Scott Madison. You also are a beautiful, beautiful man. In 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 all seriousness, at least with the shower one, I uh, it's it, it's a trope that we see in a lot of of TV and movies where uh, it just it really emphasizes the vulnerability of a yes. character. Yeah, nudity equals vulnerability. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, so, and, but if the, the, and if the, the character first time happens we see him, to be gorgeous, he, that helps. With yeah, rating, and, but he's so. in a bath too, right? So he's in a bath soaking when Christine first meets him. It's like, who's that? Oh, that's Joseph, and he's literally like naked in a hot tub. Well, and, I just, uh, I know we then saw his feet. I comes out, and out actually, I think you can see his butt if you if you freeze frame. Not that I did, <laughs> but but if you were to be, you know, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I think it was it was more the vulner vulnerability, and it also calls into mind something that I've always had a question about in Star Trek, where they talk about the sonic shower. I get it that sound waves can knock all the dirt off of you as effectively or more effectively than stream of water, but what about the bo? Like it ain't gonna knock the stink off of you. You need the soap and water for that. So are they taking like some kind of pill to make their sweat smell like cherry soda, or like what's going on there? How many things sort of do? Go ahead. How many things do we use today that don't aren't what we call them? I've always oh, can just... I can I ask then? Is this why Vulcans need nasal suppressants on Federation it starships? Could, Everybody has rampant bo from sonic <laughs> showers. I've solved it. Thank you, Star Trek fans. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> we have an in-universe explanation for it all. My, sonic my head showers always equal pu. My head cannon for it has always been that it's just you know it's something. It, it's sonic is part of it, but there's a lot more to it than that. But just everybody calls it a sonic shower. Yeah. Just I've to delineate between having water, exactly. enough water on the ship. No, I, yeah. I, I, I there's I, something I, else in those showers that removes the stink and gotcha. whatever. Now it calls to mind. Uh, I don't remember which store. Use decontamination gel in a yeoman. There you go. You need, <laughs> you just need flocks, flocks there with a, with a bunch of goop. Right. But there was one Star Trek novel where Kirk is taking a sonic shower and he decides, you know, screw it. And he has the water come on. He he calls up water. He says, sometimes there's nothing like an old fashioned shower. So I guess mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's 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 been a disconnect for you know, the 20th century audience and the 21st now um, since the beginning of Star Trek. So I stand in the grand tradition. So I tell myself. Well, it's like and, photon you know, torpedo doesn't make any sense either, but it sounds cool. It's a packet of light <laughs> that will 
Except end it's you, not man. now. It's, it it's will a, end it's you, a, man. It's a <laughs> casket. It's in a casket that right. you could also All fit right. a Vulcan in. I mean, it's a perfect thing. <laughs> <laughs> when you okay. need to get somebody regenerated right. for N plot Neek, purposes. <laughs> Neek is giving the wrap-up signal, so I will call Wait, a hold, to hold that. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's just genuinely one more thing I want to talk about in this episode. One of the most divisive characters in Strange New Worlds is Ortegas. How did you feel about what she was doing in this episode? I loved her in this one. I want to know more about Erica now. I mean, we had the chance with the dumb, I'm Erica Ortegas, I fly the ship. And at the end of the episode, that's still all we ever knew about her. This could have been an insight into who she was. And I love the fact that she did not believe in this general slash ambassador from the beginning. And it, it was shades of a quality of mercy when we went to that alternate timeline and she played the space racist that was played by, I forget the name of the character in the, the original balance of terror who uh, was against the Vulcan slash Romulan, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. 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 And um, we got shades of that here as to her being against this person because he is the enemy and he is reputed to have done not just being the butcher of Jigal, but a ton of shit that she called up that he is responsible for all the blood on his hands. So she does not forgive. She does not forget. And Boimler calling her a war hero last episode was very intriguing as well. Give me more of this character than the snark. We finally got a hint of it and it was so good. And I just wish that they would do something with it. And we finally got Pike while he didn't call her out on it verbally. Did you see the look he gave her? Yeah, he gave As her a dirty look. Yeah. Oh yeah. It I I was I, I was impressed by Ortegas in this episode because we did get to see a facet of her that we have not been seeing for a season and a half. I was disappointed that the writers chose to give us this much and yet all of the flashback focus was on Joseph and Christine. And it made sense with the story that they were telling, but to have Ortegas be in a similar situation to Joseph and Christine, but only given that little exposure compared to the other two, it seemed off balance. It, it, it was a half measure. Either, either make Erica put her on equal footing with Joseph and Christine as far as their experiences in the war and how that's affecting them in this situation, or or put her off to the side maybe let her have her her bit at the beginning on the bridge but to give us that plus her scene at the dinner and have that be all the insight we get into her and her history with the war i i was left wanting and i i wish they had either i wish they had picked one side or the other really give give her a lot of meat like they did with joseph and christine or or minimize it, but they fell in the middle and it was not the best balance. I felt. Hmm. I think it was a good way for them to bring up some of the misgivings of the entire crew or maybe um, the veterans in general, so that we could have sort of like something hard to stand against here. 
It's like this is where the disconnect lies between the ideology and the reality. And why not have Erica, who is always sort of the loose cannon, who will just snark at a direct order, be the one to be impolitic enough, to be blunt enough, to just speak the truth, which, again, I liked. And she shut herself up when she realized that the guy was standing behind her, but she was not afraid to speak her mind which is intriguing. And I hope that we get more from the character that is substantive like this, not just surface stuff, not just nonsense where it makes her borderline or directly dislikable. Give me a reason why she's like this and then I'm completely on board. And this episode went a long way to at least addressing some of that. I think it's interesting that Ortegas was, you know, writing for racism and was proven correct at the end. Thought that was an interesting choice uh, on the part of the writers. Yeah, yeah. The, the impression I got from this is that you know definitely she was in the war, and definitely she has opinions, but it almost sounds like you know she was a pilot. So I don't think she got the brunt of it. I think she saw you know people beam down and never come back, or saw casualties beam up. Uh, and I think what they were showing is that she was one of the very vocal and willing to believe every rumor she heard about how absolutely evil the other side was, as opposed to Joseph and Christine, who never talk about what they went through, because what they went through was very real and very traumatic. I don't know if I'm being very clear. My, my, my no, no, you're, you're saying it actually it's 100%. I understand exactly what you're saying, but I, I feel like what you're saying minimizes whatever she might have gone through. And, and that's why like I'm her trying trauma to, why I'm trying is to as it. real to her as yeah. Joseph and Christine. But you can't say, well, it's lesser because they saw something, quote, worse. She might have been a pilot that was just charged, the one to buzz down to the planet, to drop off the personnel and pick up the wounded. Yeah. But that is traumatic enough. Just because she wasn't there on the front lines with them bleeding out in front of her doesn't mean that she didn't see a lot of shit. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's, that's, what I was, that's why I was like, I'm not saying this right, because that's not what I'm yeah. trying to say at all. But what she went through left her angry and very willing to tell anyone who wants to listen about it, as opposed to what Mbenga and, and Chapel went through, which has left them broken and unwilling to even face up to it themselves, probably. Anything yeah. else in the episode we want to discuss? Why are the prosthetics so plastic looking? Oh my God. <laughs> I have a theory about this. Have we noticed in, uh, what was it, Broken Circle? Was that the one? Where Spock meets the Klingons at the end and he's drinking the blood wine? Mm -hmm. And now this one, where we have Ra with his obviously giant plastic headpiece on and the Andorian looked very fake as well. I mean, they looked, they looked more realistic on enterprise than they did here. And that was a show from 25 years ago. Um, the only thing I can think with the Klingons is that maybe raw is one afflicted with the augment virus. So they just have like the equivalent <laughs> of a bad Klingon toupee to give them ridges, but they really have the smooth foreheads because Archer, I mean, I don't know. Um, that is something that takes me out of uh, Strange New Worlds repeatedly at this point. I feel like the, the makeup design is just very phony looking. 
And this is a guy who can't stand how overproduced Discovery is. Like everything in Discovery is over the top, whether it be uniforms or makeup or alien design. They're getting back to more of um, a T. TNG, TO aesthetic here, but it still rings very false to me. And I don't know if that's something you guys have noticed, but it's taken me out of the episodes multiple times uh, with I, Strange I, New Worlds. I did notice the only thing I can think of is we have to remember this was still peak COVID when this episode was made. And they may be working on a skeleton crew. Uh, yeah, this was, I mean, this was, re the, these episodes were shot before the first season aired. And, I don't know. I, that sounds and, like an excuse to me. I mean, Doug I, Drexler I, had half the budget and half the staff. If, Drexler you know. wasn't the makeup guy. Uh, Drexler was a, was a Starship guy in production yeah. design. Well, then who um, was the makeup guy? Uh, I, I don't think it was Michael Westmore anymore. I, I don't know. Um, but Drexler Drexler was not makeup. He was he was ships and sets and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um. I'm well, that, pardon that's me, my... Rick. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'm I'm not saying that this is true. I'm just saying that may be a reason is that, you know, they needed something that would go on quickly that you could do while an actor or the crew is sitting there with masks on or, you know, you don't want you don't have a, a the, the luxury of six people to a trailer and, you know, they it, I mean, maybe it's a deliberate yeah. choice because they wanted to have more of a TOS aesthetic. I'm not sure. It, for me, I, I barely notice stuff like that. Okay. So it doesn't bother me. But but I I get it, though, because I, I very much notice costumes. So I understand uh, being invested in the aesthetic of a show, for sure. Yeah. Well, the other thing that if just like little things, uh, the fact that they're at their... Uh, mid-century modern space bar that looks very much like the TWA terminal in JFK um, <laughs> th that there are basically replicators now it's not even a synthesizer they're yeah. replicating the cup of Ractuccino right on the bar with with the synthesizer ding yeah that comes out when Kirk gets his chicken sandwich and cup of coffee mm -hmm. but it is full-on TNG at this point it's just they're not even trying <laughs> you know so that that kind of took me out of it a little bit too as sort of a canonista i guess mm. yeah i've kind of given up on that fight i was holding on to that for a long time and then some of y'all just beat it out of me yeah so. well i think i mean i i sort of gave up on all of that sort of stuff after the tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow episode where it established that this is not even the tos timeline so i'm yeah. good with it now any little no, changes right like that. that. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, it's just, a, you know, it's a slightly different timeline and that's fine. And I think Sean asked that we specifically talk about why Uhura knows Klingon now and didn't know Klingon in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. And I, I think it was Sean in, in our chat who said, because the writers forgot. But <laughs> no, it's not that. It's not that the writers forgot that she didn't know how to speak Klingon. It's that the writers of Star Trek VI didn't put enough thought into the character to ask would would this communications officer know klingon no they they wrote it that way because it was a good gag for the movie but writers because since the movies then, the movies have always been less respectful of star trek than the show yes and yeah. that's just a fact and and now modern writers actually want to imbue the character with some depth and some agency and capability 
So they write Uhura as a linguist, which no one bothered to do before because the character wasn't important enough back then. But the in-story explanation is because she loses her memory in episode whatever. I don't remember which one. The changeling. The changeling. Uh, this oh, is the, uh, we, and this is just something that we've ginned up among ourselves. Yeah, this is this is our head cannon. They never yeah, head cannon says that no matter raised her her mind, and somehow when she relearned everything, how does she even remember her family who died in the shuttle crash? I guess, uh, you know, and it's Christine <laughs> teaching her in the episode. You know, yeah. not in not in Swahili horror. She doesn't even call her Neota. Well, not in Swahili. <laughs> 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 and it ends up with the bluey, the bluey line, you know? So so that's where we came down on it. The fact that Nomad erased her memory and she didn't relearn Klingon it from that point. Mm-hmm. So, Yep, makes sense. I, th- I think the really important thing to keep in mind, though, is according to Daniel on jammersreviews.com, Bills and Bows is an old English battle call to arms. Bills were hook-like spear weapons and bows were the bows of archers. Bills and Bows... Spearmen and archers. You said archer multiple times. I'm on yeah, Team well, Scott. Well, D- Daniel said archer multiple times. Now, what does that what does that particular uh, English battle call have to do with their field hospital? I have no goddamn idea. But that's what a guy on the internet says bills and bows means. So there you are. All right. That's that's flavor is what we call that. That makes the character more interesting. Anyway, so those are my little nitpicks. And uh, I guess the last thing that I don't know if we discussed, but it was here in a second. What kind of ship is the Kelsey May? Because that was a neat Ugly. design. I liked it. <laughs> what? Stop it. And also the bio bed analogy was very, very clunky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah. This is me now being that annoying nitpicker, but I could not get past... <laughs> The fact that that for some reason no engineering crew can come up come up to sick bay to fix this bio bed and then Benga has to do it himself. Come on. Oh. And like, Benga would he would have knifed their asses. Are you kidding? He's got <laughs> <laughs> everyone knows don't go to sick bay unless you have to. <laughs> unless don't. unless you want space nutmeg, which was that what was that? That that Delton, Delton Parsley. Delton Parsley. Yeah. <laughs> don't touch Joseph's things. <laughs> Just don't do it. Which I don't know. I he he's making his log, and at the end, he's finished the repairs, and it's finally working again. He walks away. Not five seconds later, the biobed says "system warning," as though it's some like foreboding harbinger of what's going to happen in the next episode. It's the biobed that's going to break out in song or something. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> I am trying so hard to stay optimistic about next week. <laughs> I, I, think I shall time. hear no word against musicals. I, I don't feel uh, like as the I'm one person always... that I know that enjoyed the musical flash Supergirl crossover. Well, you know, too. Oh, okay. I, I think I might've said this on Mike before, but I'm the guy who is like staunchly against musicals until I watch them and I'm enraptured and I fall in love and it's the greatest thing ever. So I fully expect to go to next week's episode saying, Oh my God, <laughs> this is so good. So, so once more with feeling was great. The, 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 that's the Buffy musical. I loved it. Never the, seen the, it. The, yeah. the, the flash Supergirl musical crossover. 
I had such high hopes for, and it was terrible. In my, I opinion. liked I liked the Scrubs musical episode, so right. I am not the guy to ask. So I'm I'm right now at fifty fifty. Okay, and but we will discuss that next, next week. week. <laughs> I think I think we've talked long enough for today, so we're gonna wrap it up. Chris, where can people find you? I am a host of the Quantum Leap Podcast. You can find my show at quantumleappodcast.com. And Rick, where can people find you? You can find me right here and also sometimes on Captain Game Show. And when we do uh, Cosmic Potato, I'm often there. And uh, I actually, I just recorded an episode of Star's End, a foundation podcast with my friend Joseph and uh, and his colleagues uh, about the Apple Plus Foundation show that should be out soon. Interesting. And Scott, where can people find you? Well, oftentimes you can find me hosting this exact podcast called That Star Trek Podcast. Uh, so at this point, I have to give a great big thank you and a round of applause to Neek for picking up the hosting duties this week because I did not have the time nor the sobriety to prepare for this episode. Uh, outside of this show, you can find me on occasionally Captain Game Show, Cosmic Potato, and Moon Show, which Rick is also on, and he once again forgot to say that he's on that show. Moon Show. And outside of podcasting, you can check out my graphic artwork on my very own website, www.planetrisecreative.com. Easy for you to say. And, and as Neek, for Neek, me, where can people find you? <laughs> well, you can find me right here at the Infinite Potato Alliance on Moonshow, a For Moonshow. All Mankind podcast. And you can go to my website, superanemic.com, to read my comic recaps of Star Trek episodes. You and I'm should. not sure what the typical outro is for this show. I guess I never paid attention. It's stay tuned for the next episode when you might hear John say... And now we put John on the spot. That is incorrect, Chris. That's not this show. That's a different show. The but outro I like for it this nonetheless, show, Scott. After the plugs and promotions, it's just a request that you come back and join us next week when we discuss Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2, Episode 9, titled Subspace Rhapsody. <laughs> like and subscribe. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of That Star Trek Podcast. You can contact us on Facebook and Twitter, or you can send us an email at thatstartrekpodcast at gmail.com. Help the show grow by giving us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. Be sure to join us again next time on That Star Trek Podcast, 